Our scripture this morning is from Matthew 26, verse 36 to 46. Please pray with me. Lord God, help us to know your ways. Teach us your paths. Lead us in your truth and teach us. For you are the God of our salvation. For you we wait all day long. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he, helped, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away for a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Today, I am going to be exploring the question, one of these big, big questions of our faith. Why pray if God has already decided everything? If you've been a Christian for some time, I bet you've wondered this. If God is up in heaven and in control of everything, what real difference do my prayers make anyway? You might be tempted to even wonder, what difference does anything we do make? This may be felt at a cultural level. I remember after watching Bruce Almighty, realizing the number of prayers that God must field and entertain on a daily basis. Wow, how is that even possible? And then I think watching the Super Bowl when both football teams pray for a win, does God affect the outcome because he likes one team better or because one team prayed better or one team has more Christians or maybe one person really wasn't praying in their hearts? The problem, however, is not so much cultural, but I think it's felt more acutely by Christians who are trying to figure it all out those who uphold a high view of God's providence, the view that, that God is sovereign and that he executes, he enacts his sovereign will, broadly speaking. 
Christians can be troubled with some of the paradoxes of our faith. If God predestines all things, why pray? Why pray for anything? Will God change his plans to meet my need? And this can be definitely felt in the, in the world of evangelism as well. Why should I petition the Lord to save my friends and neighbors if the elect or reprobate have been so from all eternity? Now, I want to say early on that I'm not sure that I can settle all of these difficult questions right here, but I want to explore a crossroads moment in scripture, and I'll explain in a minute what I mean by a crossroads moment, but I want to explore a moment that helps us understand one of God's most central purposes for us in prayer. However, before we get there, I think it's important to say right from the beginning that in scripture, the answer is pretty clear. Yes, God responds to the prayers of his people. Think about Exodus 32, when the Israelites had just erected a golden calf. Moses intercedes that God would not destroy the Israelites, that God would not abandon his plan in the Exodus, and God doesn't. Moses also prays for food and water, and God provides them. In, first, in Samuel chapter 1, Hannah prays again and again that God would bless her with a son. And we know he does. In fact, it's Hannah's song that Mary, the mother of Jesus, sings. Elijah, in 1 Kings 17, we're told he stretched out his arms onto the, the son of the widow of Zarephath three times. So it didn't work the first and second time. But the third time, he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry, and life returned to him, and he lived. In 2 Kings 20, Hezekiah, one of the kings, asked that God would extend his life, and God does. God adds 15 years to his life. In Acts chapter 12, Peter's in prison, and it's not Peter who's praying, but the community of God is praying for his relief, and he's released. The prison doors open. In scripture, there are many, many instances where God responds to the prayers of his people with a yes. And sometimes you may have heard this. The answer is yes. Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the, the answer is wait. Sometimes the answer is you'll understand one day. But God uses our prayers as part of his eternal plan. God uses our prayers as part of his eternal plan. Now, Jesus shines light on this subject, his example. In our passage this morning, we see prayer within the Trinity, which is an amazing thing, prayer within the Trinity. We see how God communicates with God's self. This particular prayer was done at Gethsemane, the night that Jesus was betrayed and arrested. And he was at a crossroads. Jesus was at a crossroads. That is, he knew what was going to happen, but he pleads with God urgently to change the plan. After three prayers, he submits himself to God's difficult will and says, not as I will, but as you will. I'm going to suggest if we want to learn how to pray, this is a pretty good place to start. This is a pretty good place to start to learn about prayer. In it, we see that prayer is the vehicle that aligns our purposes with God's. 
Prayer is the vehicle that aligns our purposes with God's. And in it, we see that God has two, I'm going to call them paradoxical purposes. There are two paradoxical purposes in prayer, two grand plans that at face value are mysteriously, albeit enigmatically, both true. The first purpose in prayer that's revealed in this passage is that prayer is our lifeline. Prayer is our lifeline. Elsewhere in scripture, you can think about the Lord's prayer and lead us not into temptation. And what comes next? But deliver us from evil. It's our lifeline. You can think of Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. In everyday life, you can think of prayers for traveling mercy, bedtime prayers, prayers for the sick, prayers for strength against temptation. These are prayers where we are clinging to God who is our lifeline. In our passage, we see Jesus' state of mind when he goes to pray. We see Jesus warning his disciples that they might fall into temptation, so they should pray. We see Jesus cling to prayer, his mode of communion with God, like a lifeline to protect him. And we see him calling his friends, his disciples, to do, to do the same thing, to cling to that same lifeline. So let's consider first Jesus' state of mind. What we see in verse 39 is that Jesus, when he's alone, he falls prostrate. He falls on his face, falls on the ground with urgency. Jesus knows what it's like to be the son, to be known as the son. He knows what it means to have spiritual intimacy with God. And this intimacy is threatened by abandonment, this trial. He knows what's being asked of him. He was just sitting around the table with the disciples. He's already said, this is the cup, which is my blood, that's being given. But now it's really being given. What's coming isn't going to be easy. And so Jesus's inner life is in turmoil. In verse 37, we learn that Jesus is sad, he's distressed, he's grieved, he's anxious, troubled. That's the various translations put it that way. Verse 38, Jesus says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. This is not dissimilar to how I hear people talk about panic attacks that they have, where they literally feel like their heart is going to stop. But beyond the details provided in Matthew's account, Luke as that Jesus' sweat became great drops of blood dripping from his, his skin, which is rare, medically speaking, to, be, um, to have a, a stress reaction like that, but it's, it's possible. Jesus clings to prayer, which is his lifeline to protect him from the, the temptation to abandon the plan, to grow contemptuous of his utter aloneness and abandonment, his betrayal, he certainly wasn't going to receive support from his friends and the, the, the company of those who are sleeping right now. And so Jesus clings to prayer. So the next thing we see is that Jesus is warning his disciples, pray that you might not fall into temptation. Prayer is a lifeline for those in temptation. Jesus models for them the need to lean on God for strength that they might remain faithful. Here we see time and, time and again that the disciples haven't gotten, like, they don't have the foggiest. They don't have a clue. They don't know what the true threats are around them right now. Three times Jesus comes to his, his disciples and finds them sleeping. Now, to be clear, it's 
not wrong to sleep. I'm going to find me some afternoon nap time today. That's going to be a good thing. But consider that in the gospel, Jesus and his disciples were on a boat earlier, and Jesus was asleep while his disciples were being tossed about by the storm. They thought the storm was the threat. They thought that's what put them in peril because their flesh, their body was weak and their faith was small. In the garden that night, the disciples sleep and they miss the true threat, the darkness that is clouding the kingdom. The disciples retreat from the reality, which is Jesus's coming agony. And they're like the foolish bride, bridesmaids that night, ill-prepared. Through prayer, Jesus knew that his hour had come. And prayer um, had the power to show the disciples that all Jesus taught them to expect was now at hand. But they had not yet learned what the true danger was. And Jesus' example for us, we see Jesus cling to prayer like a lifeline to remain close to God. And we see him calling his friends, the disciples, to do that very thing. Yes, prayer is a lifeline, but prayer also opens up our lives in ways that are terrifyingly out of our control. And there's a paradox there. The, the second purpose in prayer is that prayer makes our lives vulnerable to God. Prayer makes our lives vulnerable to God's purposes. The little detail that really struck me this time reading this familiar passage was the number of times Jesus returns to plead with God. So he goes out by himself once, comes back to the disciples twice, comes back to the disciples, and three times he goes out. Jesus leaves his disciples three times to pray. We know that in that same way, Paul prayed three times for, for the, thorn of, uh, the thorn to be removed from his flesh, and it wasn't. And so he concludes that God's grace is enough. I also noticed that the first time Jesus prays, if it's possible, change the plan. If it's possible, change the plan. But the second and third time Jesus prays, well, if it's not possible to change the plan, so be it. I wonder why did Jesus have to pray that a third time? Why did ha Jesus have to pray, so be it, a third time? Jesus appeals to God, conditioning his request on the changeability of God's plan. Jesus knows and trusts God's providence, sees the urgency of his prayer, but is matched with a willingness, a submission, an obedience to walk where God is calling him. And I'd say that's a fruitful prayer. It's a prayer that aligns us with God. Prayer has the power to open us up to the work of God, to the leading of God, to where God's bringing us. And it's, of course, it's not prayer that's some blind force in the universe. Prayer is God, it creates space in us for God to work his purposes. Through prayer, Jesus knows his hour has come. His ministry is pointed towards Jerusalem, towards the cross, and he's committed to go there. I've heard this said that prayer is only prayer when it's prayed with open hands, when you pray with open hands which is figuratively. It's a way of saying that when we're open to God acting in us, I think we can get caught up thinking of prayer as a formula, a strategy for effectiveness, where we say, if I say this prayer 
this number of times, or if I want it hard enough, or if I believe it enough. We can draw conclusions about the mechanics of prayer. We can say that, well, if we, if we select E4, then we'll get this item out of the vending machine. When of course, I mean, that, that is a closed prayer, a closed way of praying, a prayer where effectively we're certain of the outcome. But God might have his own purposes when we pray to him that we have to remain open to. God wants us to pray with open hands, open to, to where he's leading us. You know, one of the most interesting things I was reading this week about intercessory prayer is the way that it changes us. There's no doubt that prayer changes the world. An intercessory, chair, uh, intercessory prayer changes the world. Um, not because hearing a newfangled argument changes God's mind or it prods God off the couch to do something about a situation he wasn't aware of or concerned about before. No, that's nonsense. Sometimes prayer, it changes the total situation in the world because God is constantly at work among those who are praying and those who are open to a new care and concern, developing a new sense of urgency. Sometimes we hear the prayers of people in our church during congregational prayer. We see God open up something in our hearts that wasn't there before. And so we start praying ourselves. We start having conversations ourselves. We start taking up new causes or using our resources in service. Prayer makes our lives vulnerable to God, who's the divine agent of change. And prayer aligns us with God. It helps us to act in concert with God, to do the things God's doing, to be in sync. And prayer is the vehicle that aligns our purposes with God's. I'll say that again. Prayer is the vehicle that aligns our purposes with God's. For the disciples, after Jesus had ascended, prayer in the upper room prepared them for Pentecost. For Daniel in Babylon, prayer helps him to prepare to, to defend himself before the king and spend a night in a den of lions. God didn't rescue Daniel from the trouble, um, but he did walk with him through it. Now, it's paradoxical to say that prayer is both a lifeline and something that makes us vulnerable. But it's not actually a paradox at all. Because the safest place we can be is within God's will. It's not the easiest place. It's not the most comfortable place. But certainly it's the safest place when our understanding of danger is the same as God's understanding of danger. What is dangerous is being found outside of God. When we take a bird's eye view, a God's eye view of eternity, we see that our hope as Christians is that our eternal fate is wrapped up in Christ's own fate. Though we are dying in our flesh, we're being found alive in Christ. What is dangerous is to imagine ourselves standing before God on the basis of anything except Christ. On the basis of justice, getting what we deserve, we can't expect to be rewarded with anything special. Outside of God, we can't love God. Only God can make us do that. Our only hope for which we're assured of in Scripture 
is that those who trust Jesus will stand with him before him on the final day. And when God sees you, he will see the merit of Christ. And there's eternal life in that. Now, a life that is open to God's plan is a life that is vulnerable. Um, Maybe I'm just speaking for myself here, but I think we like to be in control. I think we like to have clarity on our callings. I think we like to have a vision for the future. I think we like to be in the driver's seat. God's leading is a little different than how we might want things to be. In, in the words of the psalmist, God's leading is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, which is a candle flicker. That's the, the lamps they were talking about, a, a, a candle flicker that grants our eyes only enough sight for the next couple steps. You know, if it were up to me, I would not even use a light. I would travel by day and avoid all the risks of wandering at night where I can see the whole journey laid out with as little vulnerability as possible. If I'm honest with myself, deep in my heart is not a song of your will be done. It's a song of Lord bless my path. Don't divert my path, but bless my path that I've chosen to walk down. Bless it quietly and keep me safe. A life that's open to God's plan is a life that is vulnerable. But a life that pleads with God in prayer is also a life that's vulnerable. Can I say that again? A life that pleads with God in prayer is also a life that is vulnerable. It is a life that is not taking all of these things into our own hands, into our own control. And, you know, sometimes as Christians, we can forget that God's people have wrestled with him. We, for, we can forget that they've prayed with the same urgency Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. We can assume a, 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 a prayer life of, of quiet bedtime prayers. We can become, become resigned even to the views of God's rigid plan to, for the future without even considering that maybe it's our prayers that, that God's going to respond to. Prayers for our world, prayers for our generation, prayers for our community, our friends, prayers for international strife, prayers for the, gospel, for the gospel to find a mouthpiece. Maybe it's our prayers that God's going to be responding to. Jacob wrestled with God, and we're called to have that same active faith. As I move to close, I want you to consider the dual calling of prayer, urgency and submission urgency and submission. I want you to consider what is it you've been praying for? How long have you been praying for it? I want you to consider how God might use North Point if we leaned into our vocation as a house of prayer, a prayer house with urgency and submission, a place not like the the typical epithet of of Presbyterians, the frozen chosen, but as a place where we know the power of God and we feel the urgency to pray. We feel the urgency to pray because we know its power. What if this church was, was not a place, and I'm not saying it is, but what if it was not a place of sleepy disciples, but of those in step with God's purposes? 
a people open to being changed by God through prayer. What I've said today is that prayer is the vehicle that aligns our purposes with God's. And I want you to consider how God will call us to submit and how God will call us to change course. And I know by his strength and through prayer, it will be the case. I have that confidence. So won't you pray with me? Father, we are humbled um, by the willingness of Christ to follow you um, to death for our sake. It's humbling because we didn't know we needed it. And it's also humbling to realize that our, our fears are often not, not what we really should be afraid of. I pray that we would be open to your work in our lives. And I do lift up the prayers of our congregation to you um, and act, ask that you would work mightily, work your power. Um, we ask this and plead this in Christ's name. Amen. <laughs>